Amen and amen is right. That was some great worship. Thank you. I was just thinking about that for the first time. We're all doing this for the first time, many of us, and as a church. And I was thinking about all the angelic beings and hosts, Taylor. I was thinking about the ones that are on earth at times, right? We know throughout the Bible, angels had jobs and assignments, and they were far maybe from their original heavenly place. But I tell you what they did not do less of. That was bring glory and honor and worship to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. No matter where his people or his angelic beings or his creation, no matter the distance they are from each other, they are worshiping God because he's worthy no matter where we are. I know you all agree. Amen and amen. Well, we're glad you've joined us. We are going to learn something from the word of God, and it's going to be in Leviticus 23. I'm going to give you all extra time to turn there, to swipe there. Leviticus 23, you did not hear that incorrectly. We're going to read one through three. Let me give you a couple of announcements. This is our live service. Obviously, we're going to be doing this for this week, next week, and we'll let you know weekly as far as updates and any changes. Our church picnic has been postponed, of course, and we'll plan that at another time. We hope that you are being safe, that you're spending time with your family, and you're actually learning the rest of God And because he's going to teach us that today through his word because his word speaks. It is alive and it is active. So hopefully you're there in Leviticus 23, 1 through 3. Let me set this up for you. I want all of you getting your Bibles uh, or your apps, and I want you to read along. There's nothing on the screen, so you'll have to really look at this and pay attention. So the children of Israel have come out of, come out of Egypt and have spent almost their entire year at Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai is where they're going to receive the Ten Commandments, is where they're going to encounter God. In fact, the entire mountain was covered in smoke and fire. They had never seen or encountered God like that. So God gives them laws and decrees. And really what it is, is he's reprogramming his people. See, his people are used to slavery, are used to bondage, and they are not used to resting. They are not used to being still and waiting. In the Sabbath, they don't even understand. God has just implemented it. So they have to learn to live on God's schedule, which is a wonderful schedule. And so God's been teaching them this. They're learning this. So in Leviticus 23, we have for the first time the complete calendar of God's people. It is all seven feasts that God is going to give them The Passover is going to be the first one he starts with, and it's a perpetual feast. It'll be the day of Passover and then the seven days of unleavened bread. But Leviticus 23, 1 through 3, before all the feasts happen, God's going to set this up to help them to understand what all of his feasts are predicated on. The foundation for all of God's festivals, for all of God's works and acts, for his miraculous salvation out of Egypt into the promised land, which is the picture of our salvation through Jesus, is predicated on rest. So let's look at this Exodus, excuse me, Leviticus 23. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel and say to them, the feast of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations. These are my feasts. Underline my feast if you write in your Bible. Six days 
shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord, of solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work on it. It is the Sabbath of the Lord in all your dwellings. I know normally we have notes and all of those things, but I believe you can write and learn from the Word of God. You don't need all of those things as long as you have the Word of God and we're discussing it and talking about it right now. So let's observe some of these things and learn something new from God's Word. Now remember, they've been there a long time already and they're actually getting ready to leave. They're about one month from leaving. Most of their encounter with God has been on Mount Sinai. The Ten Commandments, the the tabernacle of meetings, all the smoke and fire. Moses has had amazing God encounters. Not only Moses, but Joshua. Not only Joshua, but the elders who went halfway up the mountain. Not only the elders, but all of the people of of God have encountered God on this mountain. But now they're leaving. Now, if you had a in God encounter in a certain place, whether it was in a church or in a certain location, that would be special to you. And for these people, this is what they're wondering. Is God going to be the same God when we leave this place as he was right here? And there are a few words right here in chapter 23, verse 2, that proclaim the kind of relationship They're supposed to have with God so they can have rest. And I want you to look at it. This is what it says. Verse 2 says, The feast of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations. There are four words there. The very end of verse 1. Verse 2, excuse me. These are, whose feasts are they? They're Jewish feasts. No. They're Abraham's feasts. No. They're going to be for just for God's people. Nope. God says they're my feasts. Seven times a year, they're going to have these different feasts. Some of them last up to a week or more. And God is saying to them, no matter where you go, when you celebrate these things, just like on Mount Sinai, I'm going to be with you. You don't worry about the geographical location. You don't worry about how big your family is. You don't worry about what situation you're in, whether you're stuck at home or you're with a big group. When you're celebrating these feasts, you're not doing some Jewish thing. You're doing a me thing. This is relationship. This is encounter. This is intimacy. And this is what I want you to know about that verse. Without rest, we cannot have intimacy with God. And God is saying, whenever you leave this mountain, I will be with you just like I was with you on Mount Sinai. So no matter where, whether you are going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years, when you cross the Jordan, when you finally get into the promised land, generations down the road, it doesn't matter. When you come together to celebrate the Passover, I'm going to be with you because it's my feast. Oh, what a glorious picture of the rest of God. It doesn't matter who you are, when it is, how big your group is, or your geographical geographical location. It's the relationship, the intimacy with God. That is a beautiful thing. So it's my feast, he says. I want to show you the parallel to this in the New Testament. And of course, it's Jesus, our Lord and Savior. So Matthew 23 Jesus has already come into Jerusalem for the last time. He's been celebrating the Passover his entire life. 
but this is the last time he's going to come in. The triumphal entry has already happened. He's just a few days before his death. And in fact, he's just a couple of days before the Passover. And he gives all these predictions. And this is what he says in Matthew 23, 37. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stoned those who were sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together. I wanted you to have my feast. I wanted intimacy and relationship with you. I wanted you to rest when I say rest and you will encounter and experience me. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were not willing You did not want to enter into my rest. You did not want to celebrate the rest that I accomplished for you. The rest that I completed and finished. See, your house is left to you desolate. But that's not us. We have Jesus. He's our Lord and our Savior. And we have learned to enter into that rest. Just like the children of Israel were commanded by God saying, this is my feast. This is my rest you're going to enter into. So I want to encourage you. The first thing that we understand is when we have rest, we have intimacy. Without rest, there is no intimacy. Now, the dates of all of these things in Leviticus 23 are not only peculiar, and I don't think they're just a coincidence for everything going on. So this is what I want to show you in Matthew 23. So Jesus is proclaiming, if you will come to my rest under my wings, then you will have rest. Let's go back to Leviticus and keep looking at this. It's such a beautiful picture. So all these feasts are my feasts. Rest equals intimacy. And without rest, we don't have intimacy. Now, let me tell you the dates of all these. So all of these seven that are right after what we just read, the seven major um, celebrations and events in the, in, the Israel, in the Jewish calendar, the first one is Passover. Now, this is what's amazing with it. If you keep reading, it says that the first one is going to be done on the first day of the month. Excuse me, the 14th day of the month is Passover. And then the next day you start the week of unleavened bread. Now, you'll never guess what date that is. It's March 14th. And then the week of unleavened bread, which was a week they had to stay in their home. They had no leaven. They did not go out and do any work as far as like their jobs, only what they did in their home to cook and what they needed to do to take care of their kids. And they were allowed to, allowed to skin animals and stuff like that. So March 14th was the Passover. So March 15th through 21st was the week of unleavened bread where they waited on God's deliverance from bondage, where they trusted in God that he would supernaturally set them free from Egypt. They didn't have the power. They didn't have the ability, but he would do the work. That's the week you and I just celebrated, the 15th through the 21st of March. This week, today's the 22nd. So we see that right here we find ourselves in the word of God and that God, our rest and our freedom, physical, emotional and spiritual, it all comes from the Lord and we trust him for it. 
We trust him for physical healing. We trust him for our physical life, our emotional life and our family's life, and certainly our spiritual and eternal life. So that's my question to you. Are you resting this week because you are trusting in the living God and in his work of salvation for you? So with rest, there is intimacy. Without rest, there is no intimacy. And we learn that. Let's look at verse 3 right here of Leviticus 23. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation, or a holy, a special meeting, a special assembly. We need to understand that rest is not a suggestion. That resting in the Lord for our future, which is maybe not a big deal a few weeks ago because you had a job, you knew where the money was coming from, you knew you could go to the store and buy whatever you wanted. But that's not the case now. So learning to rest is a holy thing that it says right, right here. It's a holy state. It's a holy place for you to be trusting and resting in God. So firstly, we cannot have intimacy without rest. Secondly, we cannot have holy lives without rest. Without trusting in rest that God's given us, we can't achieve holiness in our life because we know this for our salvation. Is any man justified by works? No. No one can be good enough to be saved. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and his work alone. He was sinless. He was holy. He was righteous. He died on the cross and said, it is finished and paid it all. And that is how we live holy lives is through him. I want to show you a scripture that is very popular, but you may have never thought of it like this. It's Philippians chapter 4. Eleven through thirteen, you certainly know verse thirteen. Eleven says, "This is Paul writing to a church, the Philippian church." Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Content is a synonym for what? Rest. So you could say, "I've learned to rest. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound." Everywhere and in all things, I have learned to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I have learned that rest is how I live a holy life. Rest is how I achieve all of those things. Then he says famously, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So let me ask you a question. Have you ever thought about everything you can do in Christ is because you rest in his holy work? When you rest in his holy work, it opens the door for the supernatural. Paul would have never said he could do all things in Christ unless he had learned to be content and at rest in the work of Christ. So then we can say, Lord, I can do all things because you have completed the work. Exodus Every time that we read in Exodus that it talks about the Sabbath, almost every time the word holy is used with rest and Sabbath. Let's look at one more here. It's Exodus. We're back in Leviticus 23, verse 3. Now we're going to make it super personal for you in your home and your family. 
Look at what the Bible says here. You shall do no work on it. It is the Sabbath of the Lord. What does it say next? In all your dwellings. What's a dwelling? That's a house, Sha. You know what that is. You're there now, whether you want to be or not. You are stuck in your house this week. The Sabbath of the Lord is to be holy. And where is it supposed to be shown the most? It doesn't say the temple. It doesn't say the tent of meetings. The temple wasn't built yet. It doesn't say the the tent of meetings. It doesn't say Mount Sinai. It says in your houses, wherever you live with your family is supposed to be the place of rest. So rest equals intimacy with God. Rest equals our holy life. And the third one, we cannot have godly homes without rest. Rest equals a godly home environment. And I'm still learning this myself in ways, and we have to work on that, especially with a house full of young children. But God says, I want you to observe my rest in your home. I want your homes to be the place of Sabbath. You're there today. A lot of you would normally be at church, and I'm so glad you would normally be. But you've joined us online, and we're doing the best we can. So I want you to think about this. God set up way back before the church age that the Sabbath would be in your home a place of rest for you. That's God's promise and God's plan for your home. That makes me excited that I know that in my dwelling place, I say, okay, Lord, you can make my home a place of rest. If I will trust you wherever I am in life, if I will see the Sabbath and rest as holy, and I will make it holy in my home. I want to show you a scripture from Isaiah, the last one we're going to read. This is Isaiah chapter 33. Thirty-three, verse 20. Now, this is a messianic passage. It speaks of Jesus, the Messiah, and what it's going to look like in his house and when he's in charge. And this is Isaiah 33, 20. Look upon Zion. Look at God's people. Look at God's church. The city of your appointed feasts. Now we're back to Leviticus 23. We're talking about the seven feasts and God's rest. Your eyes will see Jerusalem. All right. When you look at God's people, when you look at God's place, what are your eyes going to see? The next three words there. A quiet home. Your eyes will look and see a quiet home. A tabernacle that will not be taken down. Not one of its stakes will ever be removed, nor will any of its cords be broken. That is the promise of God's rest in our life. A quiet place that the cords are not broken and the stakes are not removed. When we understand God's promises, then we can understand the rest of God in our life. Now, you may have understood it a little better this week because you were forced. 
Now, forced rest is not a bad thing. The Bible talks about forced rest. Psalms 23 says, the Lord makes me to lie down. So as we have been required this week to social distance, to be at rest, to be in our homes and limit all our travel and all of our activities, I want you to reflect on God's word as I have this week and realize, Lord, rest is a wonderful thing because it produces intimacy. It shows me how to live a holy life and it shows me how to have a home of peace. All of these things come from you, Lord. I know that's what you want and I know that's what I want in my life. So the next couple minutes, I want you to pray with me. And we're going to believe that as we understand the rest of God, we're going to have intimacy, we're going to have holy lives, and we're going to have homes filled with rest and filled with peace. Those are three promises of God's word because they're his feasts, because they're his work, and he doesn't falter and he never fails. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word, eternal in its nature. Lord, we thank you that your people understood. You comforted them when they had to leave Mount Sinai. When they had to think in their minds, is God going to be with us like he was on this mountain? Oh, yes, I'll be with you. And every feast, you'll know that I'm with you. And every celebration, you'll know that I'm with you. And God, we even have a greater covenant than them, for we have Jesus Christ and his shed blood. Lord, we thank you that we are not running all over, as Matthew 23 says, but we come under the shadow of his wings, that we learn to rest in you. Lord, we thank you, God, that we are not at angst, even though the world is, but our life is in your hands, and in your hands is peace forevermore and joy everlasting. We thank you, God, that intimacy is coming because of rest, that holiness is coming because of rest, and that our families and in our homes are getting closer to each other in all your dwellings, as Leviticus says, because we're resting in you. Now, right now, you may be watching and you don't have peace and you don't have rest, but God You don't have to be in a church. God has no distance. There's no barriers with him. If you will come to him right now and surrender and give him this horrible week, if it's been horrible for you or it's been not bad for you and everything else you're dealing with, whether it's been good or bad, you hand it over to him right now. Let's trust in the Lord in a greater way. Lord, right now we surrender to you. We give you our lives. We give you our schedules. It's not our schedule. It's your schedule. The way we spend our time is not up to us, Lord. It's up to you because you have good things for us. So we submit happily and surrender to this schedule, Lord. Teach us great and marvelous things which we do not know. And Lord, thank you that we may not have grown up in a home of rest or understood what it meant to be at peace, but we are learning it right now. We have learned it this week. And I thank you, Lord, that it is seeds deposited in us that will produce a godly harvest, not only for us, but for everyone in our dwelling, for our children also, and everyone we come in contact with. Lord, we thank you for this. 
This is your plan. This is your purpose. And we joyfully go into it. We joyfully receive it. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen and amen. God bless you. Have a great day with your family resting in God.